All right, uh, so we are, as Wayne already mentioned, we are studying today lesson number nine, page 86 today. And um, this lesson today is going to finish up what? First Thessalonians. So we're ending the study of the book of First Thessalonians today, and then next Sunday we'll move into Second Thessalonians. So our subject today in Lesson 9 on 86 uh, is going to be final admonitions. Final admonitions. Final admonitions from who? Paul. To the Thessalonian Christians. That's who the letter both letters were written too. So we read, uh, Wayne read 12 through 15. We're studying 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 28 today is our lesson text. Good lesson. I enjoyed working on this this week and um, studying it. So look at the introduction there on 87. And the commentator there begins by, by mentioning, and, and we know this, that the final words of a person, actually any person, are often very important. Um, he says sometimes people use their last words to convey instructions about what? Maybe how they want things carried out after they've died, their, their last wishes. Uh, sometimes people are, you know, thinking about their property and where they would like that to go if that's not already settled. And they often are, as we said, uh, they use their last words to maybe convey instructions about their burial, what they would like to have done in regard to that. And he mentions that Jacob did that in Genesis 49. Uh, and he mentions the text there in Genesis 49 where Jacob tells his sons about his final instructions and what were basically Jacob's final instructions there. Be buried in the cave of Machpelah. Yeah. Uh, so he gives his final instructions there in his final words. Joseph did the same thing uh, with his final words. He wanted to uh, let his family know what should happen to his body after death. That's in Genesis 50. And then down there with that bottom paragraph on 87, uh, he mentions the final words of Jesus before his ascension into heaven. Uh, and he gives instructions to his followers, and these were not about burial instructions because he had already arisen from the dead and was about to ascend into heaven. But uh, what were his instructions to his disciples, his followers? His last words were about spreading the gospel, taking the gospel to the whole world. Uh, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's Matthew 20, 28. What do we often call that passage? 
That's often referred to uh, as the Great Commission there in Matthew 28, the final words of Jesus. Uh, over on the next page on 88, uh, he mentions there at the top that, of course, that admonition from Jesus, that's important, that stands out. Uh, we do call it the Great Commission. We must follow Jesus. We have an obligation to follow his teachings, and we must teach others to do the same. So today in our, our lesson, we're going to be looking at Paul's final words in our lesson text in 1 Thessalonians 5, and they too are very important. Now, Paul is not about to die, uh, but he, this is the end of his letter uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, he was not about to ascend into heaven like Jesus. But he had some final words and final thoughts that he wanted to convey to the Christians in Thessalonica uh, that he wanted them to hear and follow and remember. And they are important. Uh, commentator points out that because Paul, of course, was inspired, uh, his message was actually the what? message of God, the word of God. God was speaking through Paul, so his message, his words to them were extremely important. And so the Thessalonians were obligated, as we are today, to do what? Hear, and not just hear, but also obey. Hear and obey uh, his message. So Paul tells the Christians uh, Basically, in the text today, and we're going to go through all the, the details of this in a few moments, but he tells the Christians at Thessalonica uh, that they need to respect their congregational leaders. That was an important matter uh, for them. Uh, they needed to pay careful attention to their actions and their attitudes, and we'll get into that as we go through the lesson. And they also needed to be reminded of who God is and what God is going to do for those who are faithful. So that, that's, that's kind of, you might say, a little three-part outline to what the text today is gonna, going to cover, uh, what Paul's going to write about in, this, in this, these final admonitions. Do you have any thoughts or comments there about the introduction, questions about it? All right, then, let's look at section one there, bottom of 88, uh, attitudes toward others that Paul was concerned about, and we just read 12 through 15, Wayne did, so we'll not take the time to go back and read that, but we'll read the rest of it as we get to it. So look at the commentary down there on the bottom of 88, and the commentator points out that from, from other passages in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, uh, we know that local congregations were organized as they should be today, organized how? Scriptural organization is to have the leadership of elders uh, in, the, in the church, in the congregation, and then the church is to be served by deacons. Um, and in first, first uh, rather in Acts 14, 
mentions that uh, in that chapter that Paul appointed elders in every church as he made his first missionary journey. Um, they appointed elders in, in the congregations they established. We know the congregation at Philippi mentioned in Philippians chapter 1, um, verse 1 mentions they had bishops and deacons. Now, who are bishops? That's another word for elders. That's just another word for elders. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 3 is an important uh, text on that subject because Paul in that chapter discusses what? Regarding elders and deacons. Qualifications. 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul uh, mentions and describes qualifications for elders and deacons in his first letter to Timothy. Uh, Titus chapter 1 uh, has information uh, on that. He instructs Titus to appoint elders in every city. So that's the scriptural organization that congregations need to have. Elders leading the congregation and then deacons serving. We find that in several, a number of places throughout the New Testament. He goes on to say that we know the congregation at Thessalonica follow the teachings of Paul for what we studied about them. Uh, they desired to follow Paul's teachings, uh, wanted to be faithful in that, so we conclude that they were led by elders. They had elders, we conclude, there in the church at Thessalonica. So then Paul gets into the, the attitude that they ought to have and that we ought to have today, that churches ought to have, toward elders. And we read in verses 12 and 13, Wayne read, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. His final statement there in that passage, he says, Be at peace among yourselves. So the term recognize there that we read in that passage, he mentions that that word is also translated in other versions as no. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize or to know those who labor among you. Uh, ESV version has the word respect there uh, in place of recognize, and that certainly would include respect. Another version there has appreciate. Uh, another one has acknowledge. So we get the idea of um, how elders ought to be treated and how they ought to be recognized by the congregation. He says that conveys the need for Christians to have an awareness of who their leaders are and an appreciation for the efforts they make and the job that they do. And we certainly should do that today. Now there in the last paragraph on 89 he mentions that According to verse 12 there that we read, congregational leaders perform three tasks as they should today. Uh, first task is they what? They labored among the brethren. So being an elder or a deacon involves labor. That's work. 
Secondly, they were over the brethren. The elders are over the brethren. Uh, thirdly, he says they admonished or instructed the brethren. Elders should and often do that. He goes on to say that uh, we could summarize we could summarize those uh, in really three words, three terms down there at the bottom. One commentator says Paul apparently listed laboring. It's one of the duties of elders, one of the responsibilities. Leading, laboring, leading, and what's the other one? Admonishing. So those are, you might say, three basic responsibilities of elders. Laboring, leading, and admonishing as being typical of uh, the work of elders. Over on the next page, uh, he mentions there that in response to the efforts of their elders, the Thessalonians then were told by Paul to... How were they to feel toward their elders? How were they to treat them? Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Respect them highly. Uh, appreciate them because of the important work that they do in the congregation. And we should do that today. Hebrews 13 there mentions that appreciation ought to be shown for those who watch out for what? That's what elders do. They watch out for our souls. Uh, that's their primary mission and duty, watching out for the souls of the congregation. And one way he says to do that, Paul says, is to seek what? That's important in every congregation, uh, doing all we can to have peace, seek peace with the brethren. Uh, and that's beneficial to the elders, and how is that beneficial? That makes their job a lot what? A lot easier uh, if, if the congregation is making an effort to, to seek peace. Makes the job of the elders much easier. So then Paul moves on from the, the duties and responsibilities of elders and how elders ought to be appreciated. He moves on then to discuss uh, the responsibilities of the entire church toward other people, not just elders and deacons, but everybody in the congregation, their responsibilities toward others. So in 14 and 15 that we've read, uh, Paul writes this, he says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. There's a lot of good advice right there in those, those verses for all of us. So he says the directives that we find there in verse 14 almost certainly pertain to fellow Christians. Uh, all of us, everybody in the congregation, fellow Christians. He goes on to say that uh, one commentator says that members of the church share a mutual responsibility to help one another in doing what? 
building up our faith. We ought to be helping each other, doing all we can to exhort and encourage and help each other in the building up of our faith. Um, and he goes on to point out that the behavior there that's being encouraged by Paul in verse 15 that we read, he says that really goes beyond the congregational setting. Let's go back and look at 15 there. 15, Paul says, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. So that would apply not just in the congregation, but where? Everywhere in life. Uh, that, that's really the attitude that Christians ought to, ought to try to have. Uh, pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all and see that no one renders what? Evil for evil. We should never render or pay back evil that's done toward us with evil toward somebody else. Right. Pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. So that's really applying not just to the congregation, that's good advice for a congregation, of course, but that would apply really to anybody in life that we're, we're dealing with. Uh, that's good advice. Right. Oh, sure. But we can do our part, you know, in following those directives. So, um, last paragraph there at the top on uh, 91, he says the Christians were not to live for themselves alone, nor were they to promote the, promote the needs of the majority to the harm of the minority, but uh, as we said, they were told to pursue what is good both for yourselves and for, for all, for everybody. And we must do no less than that today. So anybody have any questions or comments there about 12 through 15, that first section of the text? All right, then flip back to the text and let's read 16 down through 22. Verse 16 says, Paul says, Rejoice always. And 17 says, Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So look at the section there on 91 called imperatives. So Paul is there in that passage. Uh, he's really focusing the attention of the Thessalonians on their personal what? Behavior. Their own personal behavior toward others. Uh, how they should deal with other people. And he does that by issuing a string of commands there in the text. 
So Paul there, as we read, he writing by inspiration again, he commands the Thessalonians to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. He goes on to point out down there at the bottom, when one rejoices, no matter what the circumstance is, what does that do for us? If we can do what Paul said there, rejoice always, how is that, how is that a good thing? It helps us to keep things in perspective in life, helps us to have the right attitude, uh, the right state of mind, frame of mind, uh, keeping things in the right perspective. That's sometimes, that's kind of hard to do sometimes, but uh, we ought to try to do that. And he says to do that then, uh, very importantly, we need to view prayer how? Something that we need to constantly make a part of our lives all the time. Uh, prayer helps us to keep things in perspective and have the right attitude toward things in life that we, that we have to deal with. So he says, he commands the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Now what does that mean? Pray regularly? Absolutely. What else? Okay. Thankfully. Never give up. What's that, Jimmy? Oh, right. Right. Without giving up. Never give up. Faint and give up. You know, I've always felt like that, that command there would include never being and trying our best never to be in a in a state of mind or never being in a situation or never being in, in an environment where prayer is not what where prayer is not appropriate or possible to me that's part of having the attitude of prayer in our lives without ceasing um, so that's, that's, an important, that's an important command for us today as it was uh, for them. So the result of that, he says there at the top of 92, the result of that prayer and then that kind of rejoicing in life, rejoice always, uh, the result of that then is being thankful, more thankful to God for everything he has done for us. And that, that puts things in perspective and puts us in the right state of mind. And then there in 19 and 20 that we read, it says, Paul warns the Thessalonians, he gives them a warning, he commands, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies. What does it mean, do you think, to quench the spirit?
Okay, Jen, say it, what'd you say? Okay. That's, that's, that's true. That's good. Uh, what's that mean? Right. That, that, that would definitely be a part of it. Right. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Right. Absolutely. He mentions there what Wayne Jackson said, commentator, about that. He said uh, he equated quenching the Spirit to nullifying his influence. And again, that is talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he went on to say one might quench the Spirit by restricting his teaching uh, by the Word of God, by misrepresenting spiritual truth. Uh, we do that by vileness of life. Weakness of life, ugliness of attitude, a lot of ways there we could, we could quench the spirit. Um, so that's, that's an important warning there that Paul gives to the Christians there. Um, another commentator wrote to reject prophecies that Paul mentioned. What did that mean? God because the prophecies are from God and you're rejecting the God who revealed them to the prophets. So that's, that's another warning from Paul. So Paul then concludes uh, that list of admonitions uh, there in 21 and 22 by telling the Thessalonians, urging them, he says, test all things, hold fast what is what? Hold fast to what is good, and then here's a good one. Abstain from what? Every form of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. All appearance of evil. You know, and if, if we're doing that, then we're not seeing how close we can get to sin. without crossing the line and being involved in it, stepping into it. Uh, we're staying as far away from it as we can, not seeing how close we can get to it. Uh, he goes on to say there the phrase, uh, the words test all things, that's also uh, translated in another version as examine everything carefully. That's a good thought. We should be doing that. Um, Paul is stressing there the need to investigate the various prophecies and teachings being promoted, prove all things. Uh, and a good example of Christians doing that would be the Christians uh, in what congregation? Berea. Berea. Uh, in the book of Acts, Acts 17. What, did the, what were the Bereans doing uh, that they were complimented for? They search the scriptures, not monthly or yearly, 
weekly, daily, to see if what was being taught to them was so, was true. They searched the scriptures daily, so they were proving all things. He mentions John, and 1 John 4 makes the same point, similar point. Uh, John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Same idea there. So uh, the idea there is that we must cling to the truth, and we must do everything we can to stay away from error, avoid error. He mentions there that Paul used, this is pretty interesting, Paul used the same verb to urge the Thessalonians to abstain from evil as he did in chapter 4, verse 3, when he instructed them to abstain from sexual immorality. That's, that's a good thought there. So any comments there, questions about the second part of our text there? All right, let's flip back then and let's read the, the remainder of the text. That's going to be 23 down through 28. So beginning there with 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful and will also do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle to be read uh, to the, all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So look at the section there on uh, 93, Farewell. So Paul ends his letter this first letter to the Thessalonian church, um, writing about who God is and what their responsibility is to God. And he describes God in what way? God of peace. God of peace. God of peace. And he makes the point down there at the bottom of 93 that true peace, true peace comes only from him and through him. Uh, next page there at the top on 94. God is also described there in the text as being capable and faithful. And he'll do what he has promised. And if we obey him, follow his commands, then what will happen? We will be saved. We will be saved. So in the last statements here of the letter, we read uh, Paul mentions uh, to the Thessalonians, he, he asked them to remember him in prayer. Uh, verse 26, he mentions uh, greet one another. Read the letter to all the holy brethren. So Paul wanted this letter read to the congregation he wanted everybody to be aware of it and hear it. Um, Lipscomb and Shepherd uh, commentators wrote, Paul had a message from God to deliver to all the saints, and each individual believer was personally and directly responsible to God for his own hearing and understanding of that message and for his obedience to it. 
So then Paul ends the letter, that last statement there, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So any other questions about the text today that we studied? Look at the application down there at the bottom of 94. Good thoughts here. Uh, Christians, uh, as we've already mentioned, Christians should always treat other people how? With respect. And that's like throughout life. In all of our dealings in life with people, we ought to do the best we can to treat others with respect. He says that's true whether we're dealing with those who lead us in a local congregation, like Paul dealt with, uh, elders and deacons, or those that we spend our time with on a day-to-day -day basis, maybe people that you work with uh, at work or have dealings with in life. We ought to try and do our best to treat people with respect. Uh, rather than returning evil for evil, we should always seek to do what? Do good. Do good. Even when they may not do good back to us, we should do good toward them. And he says that advice parallels Matthew 7, 12, which we often call what? The golden rule. It's not called that in the scriptures, but uh, that's the name that's been given to it. Uh, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Look at the questions. Uh, we'll run through these quickly. Number one, how should Christians treat those who are over them in the Lord? Verse 13. Respect them and esteem them highly, it says in that verse. Number two, what qualities should be present in our dealings with others? Patience. Patience. Be patient with all. He also mentions warn the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak. Number three, what did Paul say Christians should always do in verse 16? Rejoice, always rejoice. Number four, what did Paul say is the will of God? Verse 18. Give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Number five, what should Christians hold fast to? One word. What is good? Hold fast to the good. Number six, what should Christians abstain from? Verse 22. Every form of evil. Number seven, on the next page, how does Paul describe God? In verse 23. He is a God of peace. And number eight, what three things were the Thessalonians instructed to do in 25 through 27? That's it. That's it. So anybody have any thoughts or comments about the lesson? Next Sunday we'll study a lesson on uh, preparing for judgment from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So thank you for your attention and participation today. Let's close with a prayer. Father, we're thankful this morning for our, our time in Bible study together. And Father, we pray that our studies and our discussions and our classes uh, are pleasing in your sight, correct according to your word. And Father, help us to put them into practice in our lives and to make us better Christians and more faithful Christians and more faithful to you. Father, be with us today, be with us today in our worship period. Help us to worship you today in spirit and in truth. Be with us throughout this Lord's Day, throughout the coming week. Bless those of our number that need your care today in a special way. Those who are sick, those who may be in sorrow because of the loss of loved ones in recent 
recent days and weeks be with them. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.